Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to hot, humid Wisconsin summer, which means Robert Craig, our Executive Director, is probably tucked away in some some hopefully cool place and not sweltering. Uh, Robert Craig, good to have you. How you doing? I like this weather and I've not run the air conditioning yet in my unit, folks. And look, I was probably the only University of Georgia student that enjoyed the August in Georgia and hung out on the old campus, had it to myself back when I was a master's student there. So, well, well, that's good, folks. Folks, summer's here. It's great. Get out, enjoy. A lot of really amazing things are starting to happen. It's really good to see a lot of festivals back. Summerfest starts next week, people. Again, been saying it, it's too damn short here. So get out and enjoy it. Uh, Folks, we got a lot to talk about. The political world is extraordinarily busy, both nationally and things that we must discuss uh, because they relate uh, critically to what's going to happen here in Wisconsin, but also just a lot of in-state news. I will Uh, say UW-Madison Nelson Center is out with research that shows it's three degrees warmer now already in Wisconsin on average, uh, with more more. precipitation, which is why it's so lush in Southeast Wisconsin, but more disruptive weather. And so that it, but this is, this is becoming the new normal. Our climate has already shifted. The question is whether we will prevent catastrophic shifts or whether it's just this level of change. Well, Robert, Robert, speaking of that, you know, it, I heard that there's a big push to start naming heat waves. Um, How about how about uh, Ted Craig heat wave? Uh, is that this is uh, the first the first one? We'll name it after Ted Craig, a longtime uh, person who's been out there advocating for doing something about climate when nobody would listen. I'm thinking maybe hot shooting NBA players, like perhaps okay. Vinny the microwave Johnson can get can can be the first this this heat wave and so on. A former Pistons. Harden. Uh, we'll start with Harden. Anyways, folks, hot rod Harden. <laughs> yes, it is hot. And again, uh, let's not pretend this isn't connected to something broader. Thank you for raising that, Robert. But Robert, um, I need to transition us. Uh, we are less than a week away now. Although I guess I must say we're recording on Wednesday uh, this week. And next Wednesday, June 22nd at 6 p.m. is our big uh, fundraiser. Um, it is, we're, we're back to calling it Brewfest, but folks, you don't, you don't have to be a drinker to come. Uh, we will have fantastic union beer where the event is presented by the UAW. We are really grateful to them for that. Um, but uh, folks, it's our chance to get back into our new office and uh, see folks again, see everybody. Uh, so we really hope you're able to come again Wednesday, uh, uh, June 22nd at 6 p.m. Robert, not only is uh, did we find out uh, that we're going to now have Mandela Barnes, our newly endorsed U.S. Senate candidate, there to speak, which would be great. But could you tell our listeners more about these these new Democracy Defender Awards that we're going to be uh, launching at this uh, fundraiser? Yeah, and I would say before jumping into that, this is one of the most def- festive, progressive events in Milwaukee. Traditionally, we did it for ten years in person. Before we, uh, but before we had to go virtual, where we couldn't really call the brew fest, and it's like all the beer gardens around Milwaukee. Plenty of non-drinkers at those. It's just that for those who like a good beer, many Wisconsinites, that is also available. But 
So we're, we think it's great. Mandela Barnes is joining us so people can press the flesh with him and hear how he plans to win the governor's race and what he would do in Washington. Uh, but then, you know, we're a real existential threat moment for democracy. We see it with the July 6 hearings and what almost happened in 2020. We see it with the ongoing Gableman investigation and the shutting down of the right to vote. Uh, and so, we need to, as we move into this era, really 2022 and 2024, real questions about how, whether we come out of this with, a, with, with anything we could call a democracy. Uh, increasingly, this is gonna be a matter of courage. And there are already people stepping up and take, making courageous sacrifices in order to protect our democracy. And we'll be giving nice awards, different, not just a, a piece of hardware, so a real keepsake, to two democracy defenders in our midst here in Milwaukee. And so we plan to do this on an ongoing basis because we think even if we survive 2024, there's still gonna be a threat to democracy ongoing until we uh, really win to the extent that the modern Republican party returns to its roots of at least being a loyal opposition when it loses an election fair, fair and square. Conservative parties in this country's history always were that up until Donald Trump. So folks, please come on, get out. We'll see you next Wednesday evening. Very much looking forward to it, 6 p.m. If you can't make it, we'll have a link here. Please come on and donate. It is after all, it is fun, but it is a fundraiser. And so we'd love uh, to get resources uh, from you. If you can't make it, please come and make a donation. It's a critical year for, for this organization. Also, want to encourage you to become a co-op member. We're having a membership drive both in June and July this year. And if you become a member, we're going to send you right away a free new Citizen Action t-shirt. By the way, if you're one of those existing members like myself and you're like, hey, that's not fair. How come they get one and I don't? I know you're not thinking that. Uh, look, if you up your membership, you'll also get a t-shirt too. But folks, we really would love for you to recruit members. If you are an existing member, try to find a new member. If you've been listening to this podcast, we don't ask anything of you. We don't even do a drive asking for money. So instead, how about you become a member of one of our co-ops uh, and say the podcast sent you, tell, to tell them that. So folks, join Citizen Action, get involved, be a part of Changing Wisconsin. Robert, before we go to break, I do... Um, I thought there was a very good chance we might have a Roe v. Wade decision uh, by the time we recorded. It could happen anytime. It's that time of the year, folks, in June when the Supreme Court starts dropping these kinds of decisions. Robert, let's not spend too much time because uh, it's going to happen eventually and we'll talk more about it. But just want to give you an opportunity on just the impending Roe v. Wade decision. We thought it might be today, this morning. We're 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 actually uh, recording on Wednesday uh, this week, late Wednesday. But because January sixth committee moved its meeting to Thursdays, so we wondered if they didn't want to be buried by that. But and the Supremes don't tell you when they're going to announce. You don't know. Probably just as soon as they're going to get a, get out of town, right ahead to undisclosed elite resort-like locations. So. Uh, we don't know it's any time between now and late June. The next possibility is Tuesday. And this will be a movement moment in that we have 
half of the country having a fundamental constitutional right stripped away unconstitutionally against public opinion by unelected judges in a rigged US Supreme Court rigged by one political party that has not won the elections to justify this kind of a supermajority on the US Supreme Court and no change in the situation. With Brown v. Board of Education, they got a 9-0 vote when they overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, that's separate but equal. And they stated what had changed and how things had not worked. There is This is just, uh, we got a hold of the court, we're gonna change the constitution to fit our, the principles of the, of the, of the minority religious movements behind us. Folks, we're gonna, I, I expect we'll talk more about this next week if a decision comes down. I don't know, Robert, I, I, I always just assume this is gonna come out on a Friday afternoon. Uh, uh, sometime in June, Friday afternoon, sometime in June, bad news, but, uh, we'll, we'll continue to release on Mondays and Wednesdays, but it's Tuesday next week. So, probably, Oh, I'm sure that'll, I'm I sure that'll, I know late Friday is the Wisconsin tradition. <laughs> I'm sure that tradition will constrain this court, Robert, before we do go to break, um, I do want us to spend some time talking about the budget or excuse me, the budget talking about the January 6th. Uh, special investigation and the committees uh, now had two, you know, let's just say fairly riveting as far as like uh, they got, they've gotten a lot of attention. I believe 19 million watched the first one, which for a hearing uh, is good turnout. Robert, uh, your immediate reflections on January 6th. Not just riveting to podcasters and people who listen to in-depth political podcasts like Battleground Wisconsin, uh, but to the general public. 20 million people watched the primetime version, which was amazing enough. Of course, Fox News didn't even show it, wouldn't even show the video of the screen when it might be counter their narrative. But then on Monday during the day, it got 10 million folks, 10 millions during the day, and it was not wall-to-wall -wall broadcast coverage either. So that's amazing. And so far, a very tight narrative that cuts through all the chaff and makes it really clear in the voices of people who were Trump supporters, inside people, people from their side, that the lead conspirator in this whole thing was Donald Trump, that he knew it was a lie that the election was stolen. He proceeded anyway. He raised money, massive amounts of money on false pretenses. And he was planning all along to claim the election was stolen. And he has tried to use it to build the Trump brand and regain power and used it to actually really try to have a coup. And with that, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the Battle Dallas Council and Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the January 6th investigation and the two very well watched hearings, public hearings, both last week and this week. Robert, for the break, you were essentially saying that this was tight, laid out a good case, a strong case. Um, look, I, 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 I agree. I think it was very compelling in terms of one, the way they used a lot of shall we say, very well-respected Republican folks from, shall we say, the old Republican Party, we'll just start saying that now, um, uh, to, to lay out facts. And that's really important. Uh, look, 
the fact that they're clearly going to have to start to lay out or this will be, you know, a challenge politically, publicly, is they need to demonstrate that there was actual coordination, specific coordination about a strategy around what they were trying to do with the two major orgs that clearly they've done a good job of laying out were behind this, the um, the uh, Proud Boys and uh, the other, I can't remember their group now, but- uh, uh, The Oath Keepers, and you correct, mean the violent part, the storming the Capitol piece. I do believe, I do believe it's important for them to demonstrate, they've demonstrated that he isolated himself off from his traditional folks and was now like on with Giuliani and crew. Now, if they can demonstrate that Giuliani, Trump, any people that were still connected in, to Trump were explicitly in coordinations. And it's not just this, I tweeted, come, you know, because because there's no doubt he incited this. Inciting has been proven. Direct connection where he was in on the planning and this wasn't just some, pre, you know, not planned. That still has to be proved. I expect they're going to. And if they don't, right, then, then this thing will struggle to have legitimacy it's, beyond Democrats. It may be, they're already creating and they're kind of painting the picture and then going, hearing to hearing, going to depth. And they're releasing, you know, teasing other new evidence. They have a lot of new evidence, which is impressive because there was a lot of leaks to media before, but apparently that was tip of the iceberg uh, and it was drip drab. So it didn't fit together in a cohesive narrative. Uh, they've already created a, a decent circumstantial case They'll get deeper and deeper. It'll probably end up being a very strong circumstantial case because it is doubtless, given that they erased all the phone records, that there is going to be Donald Trump told these two two groups to do this exactly. But we'll see if they have that. It's all over. Okay. But I think they're going to have a very persuasive case. And the initial focus group work indicates so far this has been exceedingly progressive within uh, effective with independence. So this is uh, all so far working, and we're only we're only just begun. And I just want to say that Lynn Cheney, it's nice to have a right wing Republican on your side. Sometimes is exceedingly effective. We will see Democrats who are at that level, such as Jamie Raskin and Adam Schiff, I assume, as we move along, as they as they get to to to, to run a day. Look, Robert, I don't think we necessarily look if we have actual communique or people talk who are directly there saying I was in a meeting, right? Da, 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 where this, like that, that would be explosive. I do think if they get and have explicit stuff with Giuliani, it's, they've done a good job of demonstrating that he was basically, he had grifted on Giuliani had effectively grifted on to, to Trump and that Trump had started to exclude and not really listen to what had been quote, his trusted advisors. And he had sort of latched on to Giuliani. So that may be where the connect is that Giuliani was directly involved in these conversations. Uh, be, and, and that might be enough. Uh, ultimately, Robert, what does Merrick Garland think is enough? Uh, will there actually be any charges brought against? And, and, you know, look, this is great that the facts are getting out. It's getting out in a very public way. I think it's important we have talked extensively on this podcast how we think this is a fundamental thing and it's 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 different than the other like impeachments and stuff because of how fundamental this was uh, in terms of its threat to democracy and that 
it can't not, it, it's double negative, it can't not be an issue in this election. It, it just can't. Um, and the, especially given that the Republican Party that is actually elected has essentially severed itself from any responsibility to try to care about the facts. And it's a question that, that's what's powerful about this. I think thing. they I think they have the facts. And I think the question is, in this day and age, how much facts matter anymore? These would have mattered in any other age. And it's partly that they have their own uh, own news and media now that can ignore it. It's also the, the malignant ideology they built up, which has been the works for 40 years. It was not sudden, but Trump hijacked it. But I, it, I think that at least, at the very least for the verdict of history, this will be good. What we do not know, it's very opaque what Merrick Garland is doing. Perhaps this is all gonna be revealed and it's gonna be okay, but we just don't know. And when it's secret, when you don't know, you fear the worst, especially with all the evidence of a lack of uh, purpose and a lack of courageous action, but we'll see, hopefully we're wrong about that. But regardless, let's say we don't get to anything with the, with the Department of Justice, this still has a huge impact to try to set the record straight. And I think Lynn Cheney is correct that Trump will not be here forever and that this is going to basically stain the reputations of everyone who sticks with this. I think one of the important readings here, though, is that the people who are now squawking, right, they saw an insurrection at coup and process, progress. They could have said something at the time. They didn't. I certainly hope if the side I am on acts this way. I will be a whistleblower. And William uh, Barr is just the worst because Barr actually said very positive things on the way out, actually had credence to the election lie and the steal when he was still attorney general multiple times. And now he's saying he told Trump multiple times the whole thing was BS, though he, he said the whole word. Um, I, 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 why, why did he not see any public obligation uh, to turn that over. And if he thought Rudy Giuliani, who apparently was inebriated in, 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 in these White House meetings, was committing what we, legal malpractice, why not report him, right? Because he's enabling the whole thing. He's not the only one, Roger Stone, a whole lot of other figures who may be Michael Flynn, that may be the connect between Trump and the folks who led the violent part of the insurrection and the attempt to block the constitutional process that actually certifies the election. Well, look, I really look forward to, to more and them trying to make a much sharper direct connect. And I do think Giuliani, <laughs> just, just between us, <laughs> Giuliani might be the weak link here. <laughs> so we'll see. Because uh, it's very clear that that guy clearly could have been directly coordinating with the, these two groups. And that at this point, they've definitely, I think, proven that Trump and Giuliani were like this at that point and that he had isolated himself off. So that may be their hope at connect if they don't have actual smoking gun. I think it may turn out to be Stone, Flynn and Bannon and they're working with Giuliani, but we'll see. Well, it shall be very interesting to hear. But look, again, folks, the reason we keep talking about this is we just think it's super important and it's so fundamental to like the, the future of our democracy. And we cannot allow this to be a normalized election. I said that 18 months ago 
that and I sit still, we end up in a lot of meetings, you know, people talking, oh, it's an off year election. I get it. But you know what? No, it's the first election since we had the first major and, election since the insurrection. And it broke on Wednesday. Also, uh, the tours given to insurrectionists the day before they had they released footage of that with a congressman leading people around and they were taking pictures of things like the security setup not the usual tourist things, which no one had ever seen before. So the other people other than the rogues I mentioned are a handful of members of Congress that might have been the connect. So look, we're going to switch topics. We got our, a guest joining us. But look, the reason we're also talking about this too on the Battleground Wisconsin is there's that connects to Wisconsin with the insurrection and what we're facing are huge between We'll talk about it. Our freaking Wisconsin Election Commission has an insurrectionist. We got an insurrectionist running in the third congressional district, Tiffany Johnson, right? Like there's a lot going on here in the connects in addition to the, all the crazy shit with the electors. So folks, we'll talk more about some of that later, but we have a guest uh, that we need to uh, bring on after, folks, we're gonna quick take a break since we got to take a break. And then on the back end, we're going to introduce Andrew Worthman. Uh, really, really big news out of Eau Claire. We talked about it uh, last week around uh, the efforts to get water. Uh, Andrew is a city council member and will join us to give us an update. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are welcomed by Andrew Workman. Andrew is a council member it's on the uh, at the city council in Eau Claire. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, it's great to join you. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really happy because um, we have been tracking this issue. Uh, as you know, Kate Beaton is a organizing director here, also a council member. And we had her on, I think, three weeks ago to sound the alarm bell when this first came up. And you all, uh, and what I'm talking about coming up is a California water company coming to try to buy water from the city of Eau Claire. Andrew, give everyone the background. I may not have all the details right, but it's my understanding it was a victory yesterday. And uh, tell everyone what happened and why it's big news. Yeah, and uh, and it really starts in the beginning of April when the company uh, you know, tried to skirt the open meeting law by basically meeting with individual council members um, and saying that they were looking to come into our community. But they had a number of communities across western Wisconsin and into Minnesota that this company was looking at setting up their bottling plant. Now, just to give you a size, a scale of this, we're talking about 3.2 million water bottles produced every day off of this line, um, over 300 million gallons a year um, that would be used. So we're, these are huge amounts of water, of our freshwater resources. They wouldn't drill their own wells. They'd be tapped. They're trying to tap into a municipal water system and, and then use that to fill their bottles. Well, uh, three weeks ago, it was put on the agenda. And this company from the start had uh, worked at trying to be as under the radar as possible. And they said, you know, essentially that their ideal scenario is where no one finds out about it until after uh, a governing body has passed it. And uh, when Kate and that's I, uh, that's outrageous. Yeah, 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 that is, that is uh, sort of the, the MO. And so when Kate and I found out about this three weeks ago here in Eau Claire, uh, we went on all the TV stations and, and leader telegram and social media, which is a huge, you know, huge platform 
to basically share the word about what was happening. And between then and now, um, last night, um, so many different organizations and people got involved. And we had hundreds of letters, um, emails, phone calls come into city council members. We had a huge public hearing about this just for a fact finding essentially um, with 150 people. And uh, people were outraged. Over 98% of people who contacted us in the community said absolutely no way. Um, for one, we don't have a water plan in place that kind of tracks where we want to go with this. Um, for two, our rates are, are such that a company like this would be paying less than every resident in the community for a gallon of water. Um, and then for three, there was no sunset clause, which is something I oh. thought would have been very important yeah. um, for this. So we, we, um, we came into the meeting last night and before we could even take a vote, um, the company, right as the agenda item came up, the company withdrew their application. Um, so, you know, this is a, a one of the, the biggest national um, water bottling companies that exists. They're out of California. Um, and yeah, with minutes to go before the vote, they withdrew their application. So my fear is, though, that they're probably looking to now go to another community in, in Minnesota, potentially somewhere else. And I guess my hope is, is that uh, what happened here can be a way for people to think about um, what organizing can truly do in terms of stopping something like this. Look, before I kick it to my partner, Robert, absolutely. It's why we had Kate on, why we wanted to sound the alarm bells. Eau Claire's not going to be the last, right? These folks are going to, and you mentioned it. I, I was unaware that they had already sniffed around a bunch of other communities, not yeah. shocked to hear it. Um, I actually think that's right. That's the next step is to think, be thinking about how do we help organize and help others in small towns and communities throughout the Midwest, where quite frankly, over time, there's going to be pressure like this, particularly where there's access yeah. to fresh water. Yeah. Robert. Hey, Robert. Hey, Andrew, and I'm not sure we mentioned, but I'll repeat it. Doesn't if there's repeating. Uh, Andrew is a former organizer at Citizen Action in Wisconsin. And uh, in fact, our alumni list is so impressive. I think one has to be, may have to be an alumni to do great things, I'm afraid. That scares me a little. But no, I think we have great staff and great alumni. So great to see you, Andrew. I remember Matt and I deciding to hire you many years I, ago. I remember it clearly. I remember it clearly. Thank you. That, Thanks that for the was, opportunity. That was a Andrew. terrible decision. What the hell were we thinking? <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Well, actually, so Robert, ask so your question. This is reminiscent of, I don't know, movies like, and it's a great book, uh, There Will Be Blood, sniffing around for oil leases and ripping off communities. This is an age-old model you know, with your capacity, you sneak in and get the resource underneath of the people who live there before they even know it's happening or get them to, to sign a very bad deal. So the fact the deal had no sunset uh, and that they didn't want any public involvement. It, we got to understand that this is what a, what a major, I assume, uh, publicly traded company, its incentive is to do is to maximize its profits regardless and to exploit our democracy. And it's sort of a stress test of any local area, the activists, the government leaders, whether they catch on to this or not. And it's scary that with all of the defunding of local governments and all the distractions, how they probably get away with this a fair amount of time and no one really holds them accountable. And now. local media, Robert, and local media, yeah. we're de we don't have as many watchdogs yeah. in a lot of communities. Yeah, so I we just need to, I feel like, even a lot of Democrats need to get real about what the nature is of 
capital, so to speak, how the incentive is short-term shareholder value period, regardless of the consequences, and that those are not the same interests as the common good, which is the interest of a people who are part of a democracy, like a local elected official or any elected official ought to be that way. We know that there are some that don't live up to that charge, but frankly, this idea we should just privatize everything, I'm sorry, if there wasn't more public scrutiny and uh, then they, this would have happened right from out from under everyone. And in fact, I wouldn't be, I'd be worried about having state legislatures and governors in a state like Wisconsin that could preempt local authority over this and just sell it off and take the proceeds themselves. Quite frankly, tickly- Stop giving Robin Voss bad ideas. Actually, if a, if, a, if, if a certain very moderate democratic governor is not reelected, I mean, they, they, could, they could go right to this legislature and to a Governor Michaels or a Governor Clayfish and maybe, maybe preempt your authority to stop it. I mean, that is a worry. And I think, um, you know, right now, one of the things that, that we're sort of banking on is the fact that communities um, care so deeply about this. And we saw that yesterday. Um, just the outpouring of support around when people find out what the deal was. You know, and I, I think it is worth saying that um, there is a time and place for a conversation like this. And I've sort of laid out those parameters at the council. But one of the things that got me the most was how little they actually pay and how much profit they make. So here we are thinking about our ARPA dollars being spent on drilling a new well, a million dollars, because we have PFAS contamination. And a company that is simultaneously coming in uh, and they're marking up a product, you know, 1200%. Uh, and yet we're still struggling to get all rid of our lead pipes, um, do stormwater improvements, put in a new well because of PFAS, clean up PFAS, right? And meanwhile, it's mostly being charged on the backs of everyday rate users. So, you know, if, and I, and I actually saw recently a, a water company um, called Pure, Pure Life or Pure Water, out of New York, and they say on their bottle, it's a it's a it's a recyclable um, uh, plant based bottle. Uh, they say right on it, they pay their community six times the going rate for water. Well, if we had six times the going rate for water from what this from you know instead of what they wanted to pay, uh, we'd be talking about seven million potentially dollars every year into water infrastructure versus six hundred thousand, which is what um, this company was offering for five to ten percent of our water. So get that six hundred thousand compared to seven million. If, if a company came in and actually was like, we'll pay you well beyond what most residents pay. So the, just the, the dynamics of this were completely off, even to begin a conversation, let alone the fact that we don't know how, how big our um, water, our, our aquifer is, what other users could be out there in the future, how it integrates with agricultural use and high capacity wells. Um, so that was, that, that was the number one thing that drove people uh, to want to get involved is we need more of a plan in place, regardless of what happens out of this. Thank, thank you. Thank you for saying that, because when I heard and listened to some of the arguments of people who were supportive of this, they talked about it as if you guys have an endless amount of water and there isn't a worry in the world about the idea that you could have this unlimited. Like it was yeah. I am was dumbfounded at the lack of just public knowledge. And so that's the other thing, Andrew, that I think you've tapped into yeah. here, uh, so to speak, uh, is that we need to continue to educate the public about the finite water resource, right? Yeah. And you mentioned it, how it integrates with what we're talking about, farming, CAFOs, yeah. 
And let's just get real. What is happening under climate change? What's happening in this country, in this world with access yeah. to fresh water? And we yeah. are sitting on that gold and we ought not give it away. Yeah. And Matt, that was something that came up during our conversation. People were making the argument that we're having higher rainfall than normal over the decade because of climate change. So therefore our water is, we, we're in a better position to give it away. And I was like, wait a second, but you do know that three states away, they've completely run out of water. And not only that, but Central Sands and um, Kewanee and Northern Minnesota are having current water shortages. So like, I was like, you're talking about climate change, but not looking at a bigger picture of how that how this works into that so yeah and that was kind of constant yeah. temperatures are three degrees higher well that, that too. increases evaporation rate so you don't even know if the it, what the balance is here you don't know if it's not going to shift because we're not slowing down climate change at this point we've yeah. done nothing to slow it down it's going to accelerate and we don't know if it yeah. leaves eau claire with a water shortage we don't know yeah but we heard climate as one of the reasons we're we're in good footing to be able to uh to take to take this bottling company, so well, thank you guys, thank you for having me on with, to talk about this important issue. It's it's absolutely vital, and we need to do more um, with other communities in the state to kind of get them prepared for this because this is going to be ongoing. Well, Andrew, I'm really glad you said that. That's part. I mean, look, we think yeah. Eau Claire stopping it was critical, but it's part of why yeah. we want to talk about this. We actually think you and Kate are and the leaders, uh, other leaders on that council are uniquely suited to start to educate, help us think through, use some of our uh, 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 connections and networks through municipalities to start educating folks. This is happening, it's coming, and uh, it can be beat, but it, you gotta get out front. Thank you so much for joining us and for leading the fight. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, appreciate it. Looking, looking go, forward folks. to being back on soon. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely we're not going to stop talking about this. And we think this we may hear more about this company very, very quickly. So oh, yeah. we're having you back on to uh, directly educate others. Folks, we got to run. Oh, we really thank Andrew Worthman for joining us again, as Robert pointed out, former organizer, now uh, community leader. It's uh, it's beautiful. Uh, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin it was great to talk to andrew workman it is look folks man sometimes the news is always glum and shitty around here and we often sometimes just tend to focus on the challenges that sit in front of us it is nice when you actually have a story uh of real real legitimate local organizing and community leaders uh and folks stepping up and uh winning and winning even if this is the beginning and temporary it's great to have that uh robert i want us to move on to our next topic uh it's it's related to wh what we started talking about early on particularly around the insurrection and i brought up the idea that like there's so many connections back to wisconsin around the insurrection uh for many reasons right because wisconsin was one of the critical states that they needed in their uh scheme uh, to steal steal the country. Uh, we, we still, Robert, we've got an election, Wisconsin election commissioner, who, who's basically, he's an insurrectionist. You know, last week we mentioned that Millis was getting appointed, right? And now Millis is now the chair, which is, well, that's a meteoric rise. How about that? Um, which tells you there's weird shit going on at the election commission that something like that would happen. But anyways, Robert, I just, 
there, I think there needs to be a bigger campaign and shout out to the cap times for just saying it. Like, why is this guy on the election commission? He needs to be tossed. There needs to be an effort. I understand why, but like further exposure on these people who like stood against democracy. Well, it's clear why he's on because the insurrection is ongoing and it is, it is enabled currently by the, the Republican state assembly and will be by any of their candidates currently in uh, considered front runners who are running for governor. Uh, I mean, think about it here, right? Um, we were part of this, what the January 6th commission is laying out is, is that there was a broad based strategy to steal this election. And it included elements like the fake electors. It included elements like creating the big lie by knowingly preventing the early counting of the early vote, then knowing it will come out late and claiming that Trump being ahead with the in-person vote somehow meant he had won and the rest are fake votes. That was all made up and they're lining this up. And ultimately having the fake electors and having sacking the, the acting attorney general and putting in someone who would send a memo to all the states claiming there was reason to believe that there was massive election fraud to get to enable them, you then needed to have the fake electors. Once uh, that happened and once uh, Pence didn't certify the election and why, how were they trying to force Pence after the bullying didn't work with the violent insurrection? And in fact, there's, there, we'll see how deep they get. There may even be reason to believe that the Secret Service did not act on the security threats they were told about to Mike Pence, and that they might have been willing to try to spirit Mike Pence away so he couldn't certify the election. That's why he wouldn't get in that in the limo that they tried to put him in to leave the Capitol. So we'll see. There'll be more on that in the hearings. That's only been previewed. So this is all an ongoing insurrection that will culminate again, potentially in 2024. The front runner for their nomination is still Donald Trump, who is still saying the election was stolen. He's always known that it wasn't stolen, that he legitimately lost. He knew he was probably going to lose this election. He started previewing it months before. And Robert, and Robert, it's not just, I, I picked on Mr. Spindell because, uh -huh. you know, because he's a scumbag insurrectionist, but also collector. let us understand this week, Gableman, speaking of another insurrectionist, this is somebody who has declared that this election was null and void and they should go back and overturn it, which is insanity, uh, broke some news today. Um, we already knew the guy was a misogynistic pig. Uh, but like more of that apparently last Friday, it sounds like that he was uh, horrendous and, and, and completely inappropriate, with both the uh, the judge, but also the uh, one of the attorneys in the case. And uh, basically, it looks like he's going to face discipline, possibly, Robert, uh, the latest on this. Well, he got two disciplines. First, contempt of court for not turning over the records. And then for horrible misogynist remarks, he had had a history of them before. He had done them to the chief of staff for the election commission, for example. He had done the them to election, election commissioner, who was a woman, because it's rotating. So we've had women as the, as the head of the WEC. It's a rotating chair. And it, it was a female attorney in this K open records case. And he said horrible things to her, including that he could he could settle all this if she went back to 
to his chambers with him. I, uh, I mean, it's almost like a little uh, 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 a hint at abuse or rape or something. It's completely gross. Um, and uh, Patrick Wemmington, the judge in this case, is not taking it lying down and has released all this in the strongest terms and said it undermines faith and integrity of the whole judicial system, which of course, this whole plot is about undermining the faith and integrity of our whole system. And so one could say that the Gableman clown car, as we've been calling about it, came to a uh, crash on Friday, but we just got new revelations midweek as to with, with releases and condemnations from Judge Remington. Well, look, it, it really, shout out to Judge Remington, right? Like, I mean, this guy's been careening around and, you know, all sorts of people trying to stand up to him other than the enablers on the other side. And it's just great to see a judge stand up and, and not put up with this crap. And, you know, there's absolutely no reason anyone should tolerate that kind of behavior. Uh, anyways, we, we've talked about it before. Uh, the guy should be gone. Um, Robert, I'm, I'm, before we wrap up this show, um, I do, there's two final topics. Uh, one, I, I just want to get your at least comments. Am I out to lunch or is it, is it really possible that the budget reconciliation bill could be coming back to life uh, in Congress? I know we mentioned it last time, but like I, you forwarded me, I saw that there were a lot of moderate Democrats, Ron Kind included, uh, many of them, I'm assuming, Robert, uh, frontline Democrats and uh, have their, shall we say, their proverbial butts on the line this fall, uh, are calling now for the stuff we have been calling for all along, which is the extension of the ACA subsidies and that during the pandemic that have helped over about 13 million Americans, which, you know, begs why the hell don't we have this all the time? Well, they, they've spoke up and said they called on Congress to make this a part of budget reconciliation, which when we last talked about, we were worried because it wasn't. Is this possible or is this just politics? It's very possible, but unfortunately it comes down to one man, you know what I'm going to say. Machina. So the story is, which means the lobbyists behind Manchin, our coaching is always look at the power behind these people, don't overempower them. They're, just, they're, they're kind of ciphers for the real power. So here's the thing, right? These are all inflationary. If we do not maintain the, the enhanced subsidies to make the Affordable Care Act plans more affordable, people will get notices right ahead of the elections. I mean, no rational political party would let that happen, especially when healthcare costs are already unaffordable, let alone take the other hit from inflation and gas prices and the public panic over that because we've created an income inequality system where people are too close to the margin and can't, and can't, can't withstand these, these, these sort of things at all. The rich can, by the way, but they try to capitalize on it and the billionaires. So what looks like is clear, Matt, is the things that will infect inflation directly, like prescription drug prices, like the ACA subsidies, um, things like Medicaid expansion. There would be the, the federal workaround, Tammy Baldwin's been pushing with Senators Ossoff and Warnick from Georgia is very much in play. In addition, taxing the billionaires is in play very much and a very uh, a high priority of the administration and very much wanted by people of all parties 
everyone but the billionaires and their henchmen themselves. Um, but then um, in addition, Biden really has a chance to get major investments in climate change, which, which is a has to happen. And the, the, they have to do it by before September 30th. They'd like to have the text out by July 4th. The problem is the way these sausage making works, it makes it very hard for activists and groups like us to be ready and to engage people and get enthusiasm because all of a sudden there's something in play and we didn't know what it was until it was released. So there's a real problem with the, the complexity of the legislative process and its unrelatability to average people. It's undemocratic too in its own way. But I wanna say that Manchin and Schumer are having meetings this week to try to work out clearance to move the text by July 4th you may have revelations on this, positive or negative, before we uh, post uh, Battleground Wisconsin, or you may not. We don't know, but we will keep you posted because we all need to swing into motion if this whole thing, group of things is possible because this is game changing and it's some of the biggest, most important changes we've made in a long time. But it's understandable why people are getting cynical and resigned to the idea nothing would happen because the US Senate because Imagine and Cinema have done everything in their power to make it look like government and democracy can't work. Well, look, I'm going to say it. Thank you, Ron Kind, uh, for signing on to that and the other folks that signed on to that. It, we, need, we need some momentum. I also like that they both, that that letter actually did point out, which, Robert, you've been saying this all along, that, that these moderates have been for the Biden agenda all along. It's been Manchin and Cinema, and it has not been the traditional moderates who have who have sunk the party. And I, I just, please, that has been lost in all of this discussion that there's been great uh, uh, unanimity. <laughs> Words are escaping me at the moment, but you know, a lot of support for this and it's really been sunk by two people and that's unfortunate. So if we could actually get a budget reconciliation package that has a lot of the needs that people care deeply, that is critical. It's, it, you know what, it's not only important for the election, but it's important for achieving things and, and actually achieving things that make a difference and might start to make some structural changes that could lead us places uh, uh, for the second part of the first Biden term. Folks, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. This show is over. We've got to wrap it up. I really want to thank uh, Andrew Worthman for coming on. Uh, the story of uh, the water in Eau Claire needs to be told. I'm really glad that they could come on. And I want to thank all the folks uh, from Eau Claire who uh, stepped up and got into their democracy and stopped that large company from coming in and taking your water for, let's just say it, robbery. So thank you, Andrew Worthman. With that, though, thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes every Battleground Wisconsin happen. Folks, please come to the Brewfest fundraiser next Wednesday, June 22nd. 6 p.m. With that, we'll see you next week at the Battleground Scouts.